Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this second segment of the prayer summit. Last week, we, we had three sessions. Uh, the first one dealt with prayer styles, for those of us who weren't here last week. Um, the second segment, Adele taught us how to, that through prayer, God is moved, we're cleansed, and our anxiety is removed. She also taught us that we should personalize scriptures for more potency. Uh, because we're praying God's word back to him, and his word cannot fail. IJ came up on the third section to teach us about praise and how to worship God and the different attitudes to prayer, such as praying in our hearts, bowing, kneeling, raising hands, opening our eyes, closing our eyes, etc., Tonight, we'll be looking at being the spiritual leader or the priest at home. We understand what's happening in society today. Our kids don't have, are not allowed to pray in schools or learn how to pray in schools. And in our churches, uh, the kids are focused on learning the basic Christian concepts the basics of faith, repentance, you know, all that good stuff. So we ask ourselves, where are we going to equip our family members? Where are we going to start equipping them with the knowledge, and the courage, and the spiritual infilling they need to face society in their time? There's no clear-cut strategy for that in place. And so we risk having lived for Christ, not leaving behind people who can step into our shoes and do the work that we have done in our time even better, okay? As leaders, we have to exercise spiritual leadership by doing that correctly in our homes. If you do recall that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Christ was ascending into heaven, he said to his disciples, you should wait for me in Jerusalem, that the Father will send the Holy Spirit, okay? And that he will teach you what to do, what to say, and how to do it, so you can be proper ministers to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You look here, you see that it's, it kind of moves in, it starts from the home, and then it expands to a community, expands to a state, and then globally. That's the way God works. And so for us to be any kind of leader at all in society, it's got to start from home. That means we must be a good example. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, if you have your Bibles, I'll just quickly read that. It says that a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? In other words, we must lead by example, we must be moderate in all things, be prayerful, and have the propensity to teach. Bearing all this in mind then, how can we be spiritual leaders at home? 
How can we be the priest in our homes? Assuming leadership at home means having spiritual responsibility in the home. This means providing a spiritual cover for the family. Maintaining a lifestyle that is right before God. Well known that the kids are watching, okay? It's not about what we say, it's about what we do. I do recall being in the queue on a, on a pizza drive through and uh, a couple of years back, my kids were much smaller then. And just as I was about to get on, on the, to the window, some guy just comes in, oldish man, just drives in in front of me and gets in. I was so upset, I was so angry, you know? I nearly just opened my door and got out. And then I remember that my kids were sitting behind. And I said, what are they going to think? So I held my peace. A couple of years later, my daughter said to me, Dad, do you remember what happened that last time with that guy, that old man, you know, at the pizza shop? And I said, what happened? So she reminded me of that story. I said, I kind of liked what you did. Frankly, when I didn't do anything, I felt as if I had... I felt I was a weak sissy. You know how it is when a man is supposed to get out there and fight for his rights? And most of us feel like fighting for our rights most times. But the truth is it takes greater strength to back up. It takes greater strength to be moderate and to just say, you know what? I'll do what Christ says I should do. When the umbrella of protection is compromised for those of us in the home, the enemy will come in to attack either ourselves or our family members. And that's why there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8 that says, He that digs a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. We as parents provide the spiritual leadership at home. It's an umbrella of cover, of protection. When we break Whatever rules there are, what happens? We allow, we give the enemy legitimacy to accuse us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And so it's important that we do what is right in and out of the home in order to keep our family members safe. I know that in the Western world, it's once you ask any guy or any woman what her What's the first thing on the top of her priority? The first thing she says is my family. If we profess to love our families so much, then I, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's a critical thing to do to stay above sin, to stay above anything that will cause the enemy to accuse us or attack us. So what are we supposed to do as leaders? to teach people at home, our kids, for those of us who are grandparents, uh, to be an example, to be, uh, to be the go-to person when there are situations that parents can handle. Amen? The first thing is we've got to learn to pray, which we've been teaching from last week. You've got to be courageous enough to initiate prayer in the home. Now, that's where a lot of us fail. We're not courageous enough to say, hey, come on, gather around everybody. Let's say a short prayer here. We cannot let that feeling pass and we move on because we're busy. 
Number three, you've got to draw life's lessons from situations that arise in the normal course of a day. I'm very, very good at that. And my kids are always saying, Dad, why must you preach over everything? Why must you get into a long sermon over every situation? I know they're a bit upset, chagrined at that, but the truth of the matter is I've learned that kids are always listening. You might think they're not listening. You might think they're not taking anything in. But something is going in there. So the more I speak, the more I'm sure that something is going in there. Because you know something? Someday, very soon, they're going to be out there in the world and they've got to stand on their own. And believe me, they're facing more than you and I ever faced in our generation growing up. They've got a lot they have to fight. They have to be strong in their convictions, stand for what they believe in, even if they're the minority. And that means they have to be grounded in the word, in prayer, and in the courage that is required to stand up for what is right. So learning to pray, we discussed last, last week, that that goes through the act of repentance. You have to repent, you have to confess your sins, you have to give God thanksgiving, you have to be thankful for the little he's blessed you with while you're looking forward to more blessings, okay? You've got to learn to praise him, you've got to learn to worship him. We learned what praise is, praising God for, for what he's done for you, amen, and worshiping him for who he is. And then you, you go into supplication, actually asking for what it is that, you're, you, that started the prayer in the first instance. You have a need. That's where you ask for your need. And then you receive by faith in the name of Jesus, a lot of us keep praying and praying and praying over one issue. I have learned that it's an act of faith to pray once and move on and not think about it. Because that is faith. Understanding that you've kept it, you've given it to the guy who can do all things. Who does not have any impossibility in him. If you've given it to the highest power in the universe, why are you revisiting the problem? Why are you going back and harping on it and harping on it? Listen, he will do it in his time. He doesn't have to do it today or tomorrow or next. And that's where the submission comes in also. And these are things we have to teach at home. We don't only teach, but we, we act that way. We, we, we walk in accordance to the reality that God is going to do this. He's done it. It's just for me to receive it. And so I'm waiting. And that takes away the worry, the threaten, the anxiety that we have over that prevailing situation. Secondly, we have the courage to pray. This is very, very critical. We have to stop feeling self-conscious about initiating prayer. We feel this way because we don't know how to pray. And so, for instance, you see a father who really has not learned how to pray or has not, as a matter of practice, verbalized it often. You want him to lead prayer at home. He's going to find every little excuse not to do that. I'm busy. I'm rushing up. I've got an appointment. Hey, honey, why don't you, why don't you do that? You know, pray for that kid. I've got to go. That's what happens in the home. And the underlying reason there is because the guy doesn't feel confident enough that he knows how to pray. He knows what to pray for. He knows one or two scriptures he can refer to. But if you learn to read the Bible, to equip yourself with the word of God, you'll be able to, as Adele taught us last week, pray God's word back to him. Amen? You're able to say, well, God, you said that your word 
shall not return to you void. It will accomplish everything that is sent to. Lord, you've said that I'll be the head and not the tail. Amen? And so I claim that promotion in my office in the name of Jesus. You've just prayed his word back to you. You've reminded him about his word that cannot fail. And so that's where we begin to get the confidence to lead prayer at home. And we know that initially when you lead prayer at home, from experience I know that the kids don't want to pray. They don't know how to pray either. And even if they did know how to pray, they've never, they've never prayed in public. They're not used to praying in a group of people. And so that becomes an issue when you ask them to, to lead prayer. You've got to lead... You, you gotta, it's a practice in the home that you've, you, you've got to teach them that there's no right and wrong. Okay? You're within your family. You're safe. You can make a gaffe or a mistake here. It doesn't matter. Because we're family. All of us are learning. Nobody is an expert in this situation. When they understand that and you see how you try to quote a scripture and you miss it and you say, can you help me? Where, where is that scripture? You know, the one that says... That, 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 I think it's in First Thessalonians, I think, you know, and then you're able to find where it is. You see, that brings some fun into it. The kids understand that it's okay not to know where it is. And that gives us the courage that we need to initiate prayer in the home. Another incentive, which is what I said earlier on, is that if we profess to love our family members, then the onus lies on us to pray for them, to pray with them. And to equip them for the struggle ahead. Because there is a struggle ahead when mama can't help you and dad can't help you. You've got to help yourself. You face those difficulties in college. On your own out there as a single person working and looking to get married. You're going to come to certain situations of right and wrong. And you've got to take your decision. What moral standing do you have to say this is right and this is wrong? Thirdly, we have to draw life's lessons and teach them. We need to learn to reflect on situations, okay? But we also need to know how to be critical in a constructive manner. A lot of us have an issue with criticizing. If you don't know how to correct in love, this is also an education for us parents. We need to be able to correct our kids in love, knowing that, okay, it's okay to make this kind of mistake. Just don't make it again, okay? It's not right for a Christian kid like you. You shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. And it's over. We won't talk about it again. Okay, but when those kids begin to understand that, you know, I can go to my parents for anything, you're building trust. And that trust is, is very important for their well-being as they go on to adulthood. It's very, very important, knowing that no matter what mistakes they've made, they can always come back to dad or to mom to say, hey, look, this is what happened to me. That's what you're doing. That's what you're building up at home by teaching them how to pray. You've got to also ensure that a word of prayer for whatever situation you're teaching your life lessons from he said, you don't teach that life lesson and move on. You've got to remember, after all the preaching and all the correction, to say, let's pray about this, okay? You're praying for someone, you've got to say, what do you want from this situation? You don't just pray 
for what you think the person wants. You've got to ask that kid or that family member, what do you expect God to do for you in this situation? And then that's what you're going to pray for. Amen? We need to learn to be sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit and be sensitive to the needs of our family members. We're teaching them how to raise their own families in the next generation. Because society isn't going to teach them that. The schools isn't going to teach them that. It's got to be what they learn from home. Finally, empowering your family in word, prayer, and worship. We've got to encourage their spiritual growth by motivating each family member to learn how to lead prayer, lead praise, and lead worship. It's not just enough for the father or the mother to do it. After a while, it becomes your turn and your turn and your turn. What do you want to share with us today? Okay, that gives them the practice they need. They start practicing from home on how to speak about godly things. You don't expect a kid to go out there and suddenly become a worldly, I don't mean worldly as in the ways of the world, but you know, being able to speak frankly, courageously, and the word in public. You need to practice and give them the opportunity to lead at home, to make their mistakes at home to learn from those mistakes. Practice makes perfect. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, we're asked to teach others who will also teach others. We need to understand that what we're doing here is we're passing on the torch. Amen? If you love your family members, you have to empower them. You're empowering them to survive in their generation and to thrive. Amen? To thrive in a Christ-like manner, the way Christ expects us to, in the face of adversity, to remain resolute and strong in righteous living. To speak up when we see things going wrong in our generation, in our communities, in our schools, regardless of whether you're the lone voice of wisdom. Amen? They have to have that courage to speak up regardless of what other people think or say. We need to share the responsibility of, living, of reading the word, of leading prayer, of learning to sing songs of praise. As I said in the handout, these songs, these, these practices don't have to be perfect. We just have to keep training them because that's what God has given us. He says that children are a heritage of the Lord. Amen? He says that they are like arrows in the quiver of a mighty man. He puts them there on the bow and he sets it out. He points those kids where they must go. It's our job to equip them and point them in a Christ-like manner to become agents in God's kingdom. I'll be inviting Adele to come over for the next session. If I haven't met you personally, my name is Adele Little, and I'm part of the prayer team here at Village Church, and me and my family have been here about six years, and what I've loved is that we've, we've had a team that does get together to pray and to lift this church up, our leaders up, individuals who submit prayer requests, and, and then we pray for themes throughout the year, you know, whether it's coming up on Father's Day, we pray for fathers. If it's 
the kids are starting back to school, we pray for them. And so we have different themes that we pray for. So I invite you again to come to our monthly meetings that um, are on the third Tuesdays of each month. And we meet in the other building from 6.30 to 8.30. Also, if you have a prayer need, please come. If you come, it doesn't mean you're committed to come every month. Come one month. Come to be prayed for. Come to pray for others. We have had some that have come to be prayed for, and they've stayed. And, and that's really cool, too. Tonight, I want to talk about the ministry of prayer, inter intercessory prayer. And I want to share with you something that you may have discovered. It's something I discovered in my 20s when I started developing a personal relationship with God. And it is something that has helped form my spiritual life as some other things that I shared last week. It's something I try to do on a regular basis as much as possible. And it is something that has helped me to discover God on a much deeper level, to discover his power and the person of God. And that is to pray more than one sentence prayers. And so an example might be you know, there are prayers that I pray that are just simply God cover their needs. And he's got it. In fact, even the mother of Jesus did the very same thing. She didn't even ask. At the wedding, she just simply stated her need coming up to Jesus saying, we have no wine. And he took care of it. And so we can be confident that even that prayer gets to him. But what I found that if, if my prayer life is consistently that shallow, then so will be my faith level. So will be the revelations that I receive, the direction that I get, the, the depth of my personal relationship with God. It's, it's basically just God is a casual acquaintance if all I do is just say, God help them. But I found that if I go deeper, then the revelations come and the multi-levels come. And so I'll give you an example. I had a friend who sent me an email and she had the horrible news that her ex-husband had committed suicide and her son was really struggling, understandably. And so I simply could have said, Father, help him. But I stopped long enough to pray a deeper prayer. And the prayer went something like this. Father, be with them as they travel miles and miles to this funeral. Minister to them as they go. Prepare them for what lies ahead. Be with their whole family because they're all struggling and they have questions. And especially be with Mark, her son, as he asks questions about this. And when you call him to seek your face, and when he does, you meet him fully there with your truth and with your power. And, and so it only took a couple minutes to pray that prayer, but they were specific prayers that were launched. And then she, she contacted me back to say she didn't even know what I had prayed. Um, but to say that her son was asking questions and he was asking about God and how all this worked in. And so I knew then that God was stirring, stirring in his heart, and he was, he was answering these prayers. And, and it didn't stop there. Um, I, I then came in contact with a mutual friend, and this is a friend that was not a gossiper. And I knew that my other friend, Tammy, would not mind if I told this other friend and that this other friend would pray, and she did. So then we brought in another prayer person that added to the prayers where two or three gathered together and they agree in God's name, then it is done. And so it added more prayer, prayers in power. 
as I was praying for her, God reminded me of a scripture that, that I had just read this past, the, the week prior. And so then he prompted me to send it to her. And it affirmed to me as I was searching through my Bible and underlining and, and marking in there that this was God's word is personal and it's applicable and it's living and it's breathing and, and it affirmed my faith. And so the whole process, just of that one two-minute prayer and a simple email, then became more, where it was interceding on the behalf of somebody else, growing my faith, and working in the life of somebody else that needs it. And it's, it's caring for others, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage one another and build each other up, and we can do it through prayer. It's a, it's a huge ministry for each other and for others wherever we are. When I stop and think about this, I'm pretty overwhelmed. Uh, there's, there's times when I'm just completely overcome when I hear back from somebody that a prayer is being answered and that God allowed me to be part of that. And it's, it causes me to be very thankful and it submits me further under the power of God, praising him as my King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the one who is over all and has that power. I can honestly say that praying for others is the single most reason that I have grown spiritually. Because praying for others puts me in their perspective. It puts me in their position. I think about what they need and how they're feeling and what they're going through. Praying for others has given me the ability to um, analyze my own self. If I'm praying for someone to go through a, when they're going through a struggle, then I end up analyzing my own need for God's grace and for forgiveness and for help with my own struggles. And it, it affirms his word in me. I'm able to then focus on what are my needs for cleansing my attitudes and words, my actions and inactions. It changes my judgments into compassion in love. And that's huge. Because we can easily point the finger. Well, they're going through the reason this all has happened because they shouldn't have done that. It's their own fault. They brought this on themselves. And we can easily judge a situation and think, well, you know, that was just inevitable. And it may be. But the point is, they are in need. And there is a God who wants to help. As Pastor Eric talked about this morning, he stands ready He's calling us to repent and to be clean before him, and he stands ready to heal and to help. And, and that's what it's all about. We may think that intercessory prayer is solely for the other person, but as I said, it, it blesses us probably more. So I pray for all of us to go that extra step in prayer. I pray for testimonies to be shared in this church. I pray for testimonies to be shared in our small groups of prayers that are answered, that have been offered as a group and individually for others. I pray that we start to practice, if we haven't already or if we've fallen back, that deeper prayer where we get to the point where we miss God, where we think, gosh, it's been a day or two since I've really sat down with God or I've really offered more than a one-sentence prayer for someone, and we miss it. And that we won't be content with shallowy and surfacey prayers. And we won't be content with just being a casual acquaintance with God. Because it's like with our family and friends. If we, 
if we only come to him for just 10 seconds here and 30 seconds there, then it's, it's like a friend that we don't talk to but maybe once or twice a year. When we have a really good friend, we, we go to lunch or dinner with them. We spend full days with them. We may even go on vacations together. And that's what God wants. He wants to be with us and us to commune with him all the time and regularly. I pray for revival. Um, I was talking with, with another small group leader this morning, and we were talking about revival and the need for it and how our nation is doing. And, and I asked, how is our church doing? We did a study in our small group a year or so ago on Revelation, and it was an awesome study. And I ended up taking Revelation 2 and 3, where, where there's letters, from, letters to the seven churches and Christ's words for each of them. And he has some commendations for them, but he also has condemnations for them. And, and I put them all together because I thought it was so important and applicable to the North American church and to our church and us. It, it applies to us. And he says, but these things I have against you. You have left your first love. You're not examining scriptures daily for truth, and some of you are following do false doctrines. Some have held the teaching of ungodly leaders, blocking God's work with his people, throwing unholy parties. You tolerate sexual sins. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. And so it goes on and on, and he calls for repentance. And he says, I love you. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline because you are my child. And I want you to experience the riches of my love. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. I won't force my way in. I've given you free will to choose. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and live with you, and we'll commune together. And that's a promise to us. And then he gives even more promises. He says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. See that no one takes your crown. He who overcomes will eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so we've got these wonderful promises for us, for overcoming, and for, for pursuing our God, the creator of this universe, to stir in us revival. And it begins with us, and it begins tonight. Many of you are small group leaders. You are leaders in your home. And so let God stir up in our home revival. Let God stir up in our workplace revival. Let God stir up in our small groups and in this church revival. And it starts with us, and it starts with us in our personal time with God and then sharing testimonies of what God is doing. We need to be speaking more. And I, this applies to me. I need to be speaking more of what God is doing. Do we have anything to speak of? Has God done anything in your life recently that you could talk about? If not, then that means that we're not spending time with him or we're blocking him. And so we've got to accept, assess what are, do we have anything to talk about? And we need to. And I think when we start experiencing God on a deeper level and we start talking about it more in our small groups and with each other as we pass each other and when we um, have fellowship time together, that it will spread 
already I was encouraged this week that from last week's prayer summit conversation was stirred and that God is working and so the more we talk about it and the more we practice it the more he will be elevated and glorified and the more miracles and victories we will see and more overcoming so we've got a few more tips for praying deeper we had some last week And if you didn't get a handout, then please come to the, the counter as you go out and make sure you get a notebook and the handouts because a lot of this is in there. Tips for praying deeper, pray specifically. God answers specific prayers specifically. We probably all can testify to that. I remember one, I had a friend that was going through pregnancy and she had a a condition where it threatened the life of her baby. In fact, they said there was only a 10% chance that she would be able to complete the pregnancy and deliver. And so I told her, then that's, we're praying for that. We're going to take that 10% and God will take it higher. And you will have this baby. And she did. And it grew my faith when she did. And I believe it grew hers as well because it was a prayer in faith. And does God answer every prayer affirmative? No, we don't always get that answer that we want. But I know in this situation when that prayer was offered, I guess you could say I challenged God because my friend was not practicing faith at the time, and I knew that it was not just for the benefit of that child being born, but it was also for the benefit of building up faith. And, and he, he did it. So our prayers, ask them specifically and with faith. And I can give another story that I think is so cool. I read a, a Power of Praying book, and this example has stuck with me for several years. If you imagine the missiles of today, when the military launches a missile, they can determine the exact latitude and longitude where it will land compared to older Scud missiles that they would just shoot off and hope that it landed somewhere near. And so this particular story centered around strategic prayers that would land exactly where the need is. And the situation that was being prayed for was an African village where missionaries had gone before and they had been run out. They had all left because there was such a demonic presence in the village. And so when another set of missionaries decided to go in, they said, we know the history. We're not even going to set foot in this place for six months. We're going to pray solid for six months. And they had a whole team of people praying. And they asked God to show what is the demonic activity, to name it. So they knew what they were fighting against, what their prayers in the spiritual realm were fighting against to name it. And they did get their answer, and it was witchcraft. And so they started targeting those prayers at witchcraft and against that demonic activity. When they arrived, they did find that there was a woman on the main street that practiced witchcraft, and she had for years. And she had the whole city council under her power. They were intimidated. They were fearful of her. There were a lot of deaths around her house. There were many car crashes. There were lots of snakes that were reported. And, and because of the prayers of all those that had been praying six months before and continuing on, when they arrived, 
in the end, she was the one that ended up leaving, and the church grew, and there were many who came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was a victory, and because of strategic prayers, and so we can ask God, what are we praying against? When we know that somebody's struggling with something, then we want to pray strategically, we want to pray specifically, and we can trust that God is pointing those prayers exactly there. And then if we don't know exactly what to pray, then he comes in and intercedes for us, giving words through the Holy Spirit. And that's the God that we serve. Pray expectantly. Prayer can do anything God can do. And there, there's two scriptures that are listed, and there's many more exactly like them in scripture. John 14, 14 says, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And so when we pray, we can believe. And we may start to lose our faith because maybe some prayers that we prayed have not been answered. Gather with others. Get back in the word. And pray an expectant and believing prayer of faith and have others with you to do that. God will answer. He, he wants to. When it's according to his will, he wants to. Pray immediately as you know there's a need. So we want to pray responsively and not put it off. And this is something that was a tip that was mentioned last week by someone in the audience, and I was so glad. You know, we don't want to wait until we go to bed. We may forget do it right then. And if we get an email, for instance, where we know there's a need, or if you're on the prayer chain and you get a prayer request, pray right then. Let's take care of it then. And we may say, well, I want to come back to it again. That's fine. Go ahead and pray. And, and we can even be praying as we're talking to somebody. You know how good multitasking works. We can, we can be talking and listening to somebody and still launching a prayer to God. Another tip is to don't undo prayers with our words. This was something that someone shared with me. It was through a sermon, and I just love it because it is true. Sometimes we'll say, well, we pray a prayer for somebody, and then we'll turn around to somebody and, and say about that person that we've prayed for, well, they'll, they'll never change, or um, they're just so sick, and we don't speak any words of faith to that person, but yet we prayed to God that they would be healed or helped. And so our words should go together with our prayers. And in that sermon that I listened to years ago, it was a funny story. It was a man who wanted to quit smoking, and he went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I have tried everything. I've tried total cessation. It didn't work. I have tried the patches. It didn't work. I just can't quit. And the pastor said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Every time you light up a cigarette, I want you to say, thank you, Father, I'm free. He's like, really? Yep, that's what I want you to say. And he says, when you go and buy a pack of cigarettes at the store, I want you to say, thank you, Lord, I'm free. You're serious about this? Yep. And so he went away, and three weeks later he came back, and he said, Pastor, I am free. I am free. I did it. 
And so the whole point was that if he kept saying, praying that God would help him be free of this addiction, but he kept telling everybody else, I, I can't quit. I just can't quit. Then he was undoing his prayers. And so we've got to watch our words. And we speak words of faith. It doesn't mean that we deny there's a problem, but we turn it around and we speak in faith. And then the next tip is to step out of our comfort zone and pray with someone. There is nothing more encouraging to somebody else and more powerful than praying in person with someone over the phone or standing with them or even in an email. Write out a prayer instead of just saying, I'm going to pray for you, type it out or pray with them right then. And I know that this causes fear and anxiety. It, it did for me when I first started doing it. I was kind of pushed into it as a leader of a small group. It was my responsibility to call every one of like 15 women each week and be willing to pray for them. And it was all new to me, and it was uncomfortable. And I guess it's because I thought it was some type of performance or something. I don't know. It's just I think that's sometimes the way we view it. But it's not. It's just talking to God. He doesn't want these or thous. He doesn't need flowery speech. He just wants a simple, earnest prayer that is basic, but it's heartfelt. In fact, he says in his word, he doesn't want the lofty prayers that are for the benefit of other people. He despises that. But a very simple prayer he hears. And the last tip is to, well, I've already said it, send a written prayer via email or text and encourage others with those words. So as we talk about praying with someone, we, we do need a few tips. Sometimes we need some encouragement because I know it brings anxiety for some folks. And, um, and practicing is what helps it become more comfortable. One tip is to memorize some scripture to have when you're praying, as Kenne was saying, and to pray boldly and with confidence. And to remember we are not counselors. We're not there to fix the problem. We're just there to listen to a need and to offer a prayer, asking the Lord to help. And so we're going to practice that now in our remaining minutes. We probably won't get to all the rest of your handout, but you've got a lot of those tips there. One thing I'll point out in the remaining is, um, is if you jump down to making prayer a part of your daily routine, uh, this was a good example that I just heard this past week, and it was a doctor who he let all of his staff know that if you can't find me, don't panic. There are times during the day where I have got to refresh and regroup, and I may be in the supply closet, and don't bother me. I need a few minutes with God. And what a great example that this doctor was setting for his staff, and may we do the same. We can let our coworkers know and our family know that if you find me in our, our own prayer closet, then I have to have that time with God. And so in the last few minutes, I will point your attention to some of the remaining tips. We've already covered making prayer part of your daily routine. Seize the moments throughout the day. We talked a little last week about praying exactly where you are. 
If you've got drive time, seize that commute and pray along the way. If you find yourself in the doctor's office, then grab your phone and start praying through your contacts list. We can pray literally any time, and we can be prompted to pray, or not just by our memory, but by our phone in front of us. There's lots of different ways to pray. We can pray the newspaper. We can pray the news when we listen to the news. There's so many things going on that we can pray for. And so that's the next section, what to pray for and who to pray for. Pastor Eric has some requests for us to pray. And so as a church, I ask that we all be praying for these things that he has asked us to pray for. And those are listed in your handout. And the, the last one is praying for our new campus, the, a village church that will launch in fall of 2014. And then we can pray for church and community and government leaders. We can pray for fellow believers. And we can pray for family members, co-workers, our church, small groups, literally anything. And so take your own notebook and personalize it. You may have, you may start gathering resources that help us pray with scriptures for each of those categories. And, and it becomes your book, so make it yours. Online, there are tons of resources. Like my dad, I've been talking with him and having lots of conversations recently about the squirrels outside and him feeding them. And he is so into nature and animals that I went online and I found a list of verses that are about nature and animals, and I sent it to him. If you search online for scriptures, you will, you will find them. And we can use those for praying. So in the last minute or so what tips do you guys have what could you share that might help others in praying and for the sake of time keep it brief anybody somebody's got to have some idea I think that's a good point. I've struggled with that too. Because once you start praying for one thing, then you think, well, I need to pray for this. And so having, having a guide even can help. And then just adding so many people. Even Jesus could not get to everybody. But the point is we're praying. And who we pray for, it does matter. Anybody else? Accountability is a great thing. We can be accountable in our own homes with each other, and we and Dan's going to talk about bringing Christ to our workplace, and we can even develop an atmosphere there. So with that, I thank you all for your tips and for participating in prayer, and with that, I'll ask Dan to come up and to share. All right. Good evening. Everyone's ready. Sunday night, about 7 o'clock. We've got a few more minutes to go. Get ready for the week ahead. So I thought uh, to get started, 
we'd turn to the book of Numbers and read Numbers for about an hour. How does that sound? If you all don't laugh harder, I will start doing that. Um, all joking aside, I wanted to share a little bit about some ways we can bring Christ to the workplace. Um, most of us have some professional career where we're out and about in the world, uh, you know, handful of days a week. And so I just want to share some, uh, uh, some notes I've taken over the years and, and some ideas. Um, I'm sure a lot of us, and I hope none of my teammates are sitting in this room right now, uh, have a boss that we've worked for that we probably didn't respect, whether they were unethical, um, inappropriate in their, in their dealings, um, uh, whatever it may be, their work ethic was subpar, whatever it may be, there's a good chance a lot of us had a boss that we didn't uh, necessarily respect. And, and with that, when we go to work every day, we need to remember in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So when we're at work, we are not working for our boss, we're working for God. And below that is our boss and other peers. So that's an important note to remember. Um, and with that, there are a few uh, core values that I think we should all take into the workplace. Uh, honesty and integrity um, are probably the top ones. Not that any come second, but uh, Luke 16, 10 and 11 says, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? Uh, so no matter what the cost, whatever we do, we need to be truthful and honest and tell the whole truth, not the half truth, or there's also, you know, lack of truth by omission. We need to be honest and forthright. Um, we need to be accountable, and we need to have courage in the workplace. Uh, that's kind of been a recurring theme here tonight is being courageous. Um, is anyone here in HR or has been in HR at one point in your career, if you are? Uh, you are a very talented person because you get to deal with everybody's problems at work. So hats off to you. Um, I tell you that I'm, I'm not in HR. I'm the farthest thing from uh, an HR person. I'm in sales. I love sales top to bottom from the very first full call, cold call to closing the deal at the end of the day. Um, I love it. And most of you know my wife. Uh, she's very bright. She's talented. And uh, she's a beautiful woman. And I'll tell you, I'm pretty good at sales because I convinced her it's a great idea to spend the rest of her life with me. So <laughs> thank you, Charlie. Um, but I say all that. I, I went a handful of years ago, I went to a, a business course uh, at a university up in Ohio. And it was about a week long. And we went through accounting and finance and marketing. And I said, boy, this is great. I'm going to remember all this. I'm going to jot all these notes down. This is going to be awesome. And I did all that, and then we got to the HR per portion, and I was like, oh, this is going to be such a drag. And you know what I remember? Six years later, I remember two words, and it came from the HR portion of that conference, and it was managerial courage. And with that, in our jobs, we need to have courage in our jobs to bring Christ into the workplace. And so I, I just I, I relate that to almost everything I do at work, is I need to have the courage to make the right decisions and to get with my teammates, share what's going on, and they will hold me accountable for the decisions I make as well. 
Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who is against us? I think Eric pointed that out in his uh, message this morning, right? And so that brings us into the workplace. So now we've submitted our, our job to Christ, to his, to his will and our career. So now we're at the workplace. And what do we need to do at the workplace to let people know where we stand? We need to make our workspace, our work area, an inviting place for people to come to, right? So one of the ways we can do that is we can post scripture. A couple great scriptures that I have posted, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the, the world. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And you know what's cool? That was written 2,000 years ago, and today there's still no law against those things, nor will there ever be. Um, another way we can make our, let people know where we stand on, on things and, and, and that we are believers is you can have a Bible on your desk. Have something, have a little symbol on your desk. When people come in, you know, I'm not saying have a Bible, you know, hit them in the face as they walk into your office or your cubicle or your workspace, but have it laying out in the corner of your desk where people, where people see it. Or have an, another symbol. I have a friend, Charlie. Uh, I think this is weird, but he swears by it. He has a picture of himself framed eight and a half by 11 on his desk, and he uses it as a conversation. I'm kidding. He doesn't really have that. But, but have something sitting out there on your desk. Uh, some of you may know Greg Butler that goes to church here. On his desk, he has a little globe, and he went to Haiti a few years ago. And when people ask him, you know, why do you have that globe on his desk, he says, funny you ask. It's, it's a reminder for me of how God has worked in my life and performed miracles in my life and it's just a great way for him to start a conversation about Christ um, pray at your desk pray silently pray at, in your break room in your conference room wherever you may stop and have a few minutes pray silently pray for the person sitting across from you across the aisle from you or next office over wherever it may be uh, if you have a Christmas party or a luncheon or something approach your boss and I've said I'm a sales guy. The best advice someone ever told me about selling, and this is not from someone in sales, is you have everything to gain and you have, you have nothing to lose. The worst anybody's going to say to you is no, and they're not going to take your birthday away. So why not try, right? <laughs> but ask your boss if you have a team luncheon or a team meeting, ask your boss if you can start it with a word of prayer. The worst he's going to say is no. Now, it's important to note that this can't be mandatory. But the way you can approach it is, you know, I'm going to, I'd like to bless the meal. You know, anyone who would like to participate is welcome to. Then the choice is theirs, whether they'd like to or not, right? Um, there's a company here in Columbia called Southeastern Freight, um, an outstanding organization. Uh, they're really a, a big freight carrier, and uh, I have a lot of respect for them, run by a nice Christian family. And I have a friend who works there, and he told me every meeting they start with, every major meeting they start with, starts with a five-minute devotion. And he said the, the, the person in charge of the meeting typically, typically leads it, 
and you can do whatever you want. You can read your, on your iPad, you can read on your phone, you can put your headphones in, you can not pay attention, but they start every meeting with a devotion. And I thought, I thought boy, how cool is that, that they, they do that and let people know where they stand and who they serve. Um, look for other opportunities to, to share Christ at the workplace. Uh, pray daily for ministry opportunities to present themselves. And with that, be patient and obedient when the opportunities arise. Um, each of us, God has given each of us different gifts, uh, whether it's preaching or teaching or building relationships, whatever it may be. Um, we all have gifts that God intends for us to use to share the gospel. First Corinthians 117, 1.17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize not with clever words so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Um, you know, I mentioned developing relationships. We can develop closer relationships with fellow believers at work. Now we need to be very cognitive of developing gender-appropriate relationships at work. But, uh, you know, I think Adele pointed out before, Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So when we are at work and we are with those co-workers, take time to pray with them and know that God is there with us. Christ is with us. Approach your boss if you feel led to start a prayer meeting at church or uh, some sort of Bible study. I know Kanae has a great story about feeling led to, to start a, a prayer group at, at uh, his, his work a handful of years ago, and I, it just took off from there. But it was obedience that led him to approach his boss. Again, the worst anybody's going to say is no, Right? Extend contact to after-hours occasions. Now, most of us, if we're in an 8 to 5 job, you're probably spending more time with your coworkers awake than you are with your family, right? So, you know, you spend time with family, but it's okay to spend time with coworkers at lunch, you know, after hours or on weekends once in a while. And you know what? People feel comfortable sharing with you when they know you, when you built those relationships, they're going to share things with you that they might not otherwise. And an invitation to a church or small group is going to be better received if you have some sort of relationship with them, right? Uh, now, here's the part that, that kind of gets me. Walk the walk with humility. Um, lead by example. Everyone loves getting credit, especially this guy. Um, and it, it feels good when, when I'm working on a project at work and someone says, hey, Dan, you did a great job on that. You know, I kind of sit up in my chair a little bit better and you know, thank you. I appreciate it. But that's not what the Bible says. Matthew 6, 3 and 4 says, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. James 4, 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 25.9, he leads the humble in what's right and teaches them his way. Luke 14.11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That kind of circles back around to uh, getting credit. Obviously, we need to be cognitive of that. Um, keeping our word at work. In order to keep our word, we need to make sure we're grounded in his word. 1 John 2.5 says, but whatever... But whoever keeps his word, God's word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. And now, this is a great verse, this next one coming up, and I'm not going to make any comments after that. 
Matthew 5.37, but let your word yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Don't participate in gossip. Um, why do we do it? Why do we do it? I think it makes us feel better about ourselves. It, we, we're judgmental when we're participating in gossip, and it's probably one of the most unhealthy things we can do in the workplace or, or outside of the workplace for that matter. Um, think of some of the wisest people you know. Do they gossip? They're probably, uh, you know, they're kind of people when you, when you go and say, hey, you know, I've, I've got this situation. How do I, uh, how do, how do I, how do I handle this? And typically there's a long pause, sometimes a day or two, and you know that they're prayerfully considering it, and they almost always come back to you with a response in the form of a question, like, well, Dan, have you ever thought of this? Like, huh. Nope, but I have now. And they're always spot on, right? It's because they don't gossip. They don't say things that aren't necessary. Everything they say is well thought out. Look at Jesus. Did he gossip? No. Um, and in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, what should we be doing instead of gossiping? And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what if we don't have a place where we go to every day, a formal office, something or other? What if you know we're typically on the road? Well, we can pray for peers outside of our workplace. Um, Maybe it's with customers, with vendors, someone we run into at school, or someone we always see at the post office, wherever it may be. Uh, we have these opportunities. Pray over meals if you're sharing a lunch with them. Ask them, do you mind if I bless the food? Whatever it may be, with customers or vendors, uh, make prayer part of your business protocol when you're out on the road or when you're traveling, and people will know where you stand. There, there's a company in Greenville called uh, Eastern Industrial. They're, they're a customer of ours. And... The CEO of that company, his name is Kip Miller, and he has just such a fabulous testimony. It's, it's awesome. I wish I had an hour to share it, but I don't. Um, but he shares, he, they, they, they gather their vendors and a lot of their teammates together every year for a day-long meeting where you just do a little round table and everyone bounces around from table to table. And before that, he offers, he invites everyone to what he calls a prayer breakfast. And what he does is he takes, you know, a half hour or hour early, early that morning. It's usually about 6 in the morning. And whoever wants to come is more than welcome to, whoever is going to show up at this event. And what he does is he typically shares his testimony. And he shares, um, he shares about the ministries he feels, you know, God calling him to. And I tell you what, it's such an encouragement to see that man because he is not, he is probably the most, godly wisest man i've interacted with in in the business world and he it's so cool to see his his business is a catalyst to support those ministries not the other way and i just thought boy how cool is that what a great role model for someone like me um be careful not to take part in coarse humor or language this is probably a little bit more common to guys than than ladies but uh I know sometimes conversations can get pretty rough out there, and the best thing we need to do, Todd, you're probably agreeing with me right now, uh, not that you partake. <laughs> Adele, we might, Adele, I gotta, we'll talk in a minute. 
But Ephesians 5.4 says, Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Um, we need to stand up for what we know is right. And what's right is that we are to share the gospel. Matthew 28.19 and 20 is the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what I'd like to do now is uh, let's take a minute. Everybody kind of put your thinking cap on. Let's think of someone in our day-to-day weekly activities, someone that we're going to come in contact with this week, okay? Lord willing, that we'll come in contact with this week. And let's, let's think of them. Let's, let's make it a point to pray for them every day this week. And now what I'm going to ask you to do, let's step a little bit out of our comfort zone. We talked about being courageous and being bold. Let's be bold and courageous now. Mm -hmm.